You're listening to Got Tech, the podcast with your hosts, Eric Geis and Nick Johnson. Welcome back to Got Tech, the podcast. This is episode 53 called Real World Opportunities for Your Students. In this episode, we'll define real world experiences and global education as we discuss the pros and cons of this exciting and timely teaching approach. In our second segment, we'll give you some specific next steps and project ideas for how to incorporate globalized real world experiences into your classroom. Check it out. So we're back with episode number 53. A lot of awesome, cool, fun, new things for Got Tech to happen over the last week. Uh, last week was a uh, first for us. It was a first EduMentor episode with Charity Dodge. She's amazing. And then it was also our first Twitter chat, which uh, we went by the hashtag, hashtag EduMentor, and it was phenomenal. Yeah, I thought it went really well. I wasn't super big into Twitter chats before this. I know guys is a little more into it than me, but now running our own and seeing how many people uh, came out, even for our very first one, it was a really cool experience and we're excited to keep that going. So this is every Wednesday night at 8.30 Eastern Standard Time. Uh, You can check out Twitter at the hashtag edumentor, E-D-U-M-E-N-T-O-R. Sometimes we'll have a guest, sometimes it'll just be me and guys hosting and posing some questions that everybody can respond to um, and, and get some feedback on ideas or some inspiration or just share something you've been looking to share online. Uh, It's quick. Everything's kind of rapid fire. I think that's what I liked about it as sort of a newcomer to the whole experience. So the whole thing only lasts was like half an hour, right? Yep. It was 30 minutes and uh, it it does come and go pretty quick. But when you go back and reread all the posts and everything, it just shows you uh, how many people out there have unique ideas that people can learn from. And it's really just the power of the PLN. Yeah. And um, so definitely check it out. I think it's going to be a cool experience uh, for people that uh, that tune in and, and become part of this chat. And also, if you would like to know the questions ahead of time, obviously, we post questions on Twitter as you go. But if you want to prepare and think about some of your responses, you can go to our website, gottech.com slash edumentor where we have a page dedicated to this twitter chat with the questions posted ahead of time uh, to help you sort of figure out exactly how you'll be interacting so that's there for people also another thing that is new with uh, got tech is we started a news flash i mean this actually started as join the got tech team we didn't really like that you know if you're listening we appreciate the listen listeners we appreciate the support and everything and we are a team but we, we felt like just sending something out once a month wasn't the team effort that we're looking for. And that's really why we started the uh, EduMentor Twitter chat. But you can get in the know. That's what we're saying. You can get in the know with the gut tech newsflash. Really, all that that is, is what we have going on for that month. Uh, We'll talk about the EduMentors for that month. We'll talk about any news updates, where we'll be for professional development, and we'll also give away free templates. Every once in a while, uh, Nick and I sit down and we get creative and we make a digital game board using Google Slides or something like that that we'll share out with you. So go over to gottech.com slash newsflash, sign up for that newsflash. Flash uh, comes out during the first week of every month. Uh, we do not spam you. It's a one-time-every-month one deal here. Uh, and if we feel like we need to send out something more often, we'll also let you know. So 
you can uh, look for them in your mailbox. Yep. And best yet, it's in video form. Most often we uh, make a YouTube video and we kind of give you the heads up of what's going on. So you could just listen to them in your car. Or you can watch us, and uh, usually we make weird faces, and we get a little goofy, but that's okay. All right, so let's get into uh, the actual topic for uh, this episode, episode 53 of Got Tech, the podcast. It's one that I'm excited to talk about. I know Mo is excited to talk about the things we bring uh, to the table here. That's why we bring them up. But this one is extra unique, and I don't think it's... We've definitely never touched on it before, maybe sort of in a back channel sort of way, but for sure haven't devoted any kind of full episode to this. The topic, as I understand it, is called real world opportunities for your students, Uh, kind of also closely related to what some teachers might think of as like a global learning experience. Uh, So we're going to talk about that in some of the ed tech activities that you might be able to use along with this. So I just want to add on to this real world experience opportunities and experiences really covers a lot that's distance learning that's bringing guests that's i mean really you could say that it's uh kind of stem too because if you're problem solving if you're bringing in ways to uh solve problems it's a stem opportunity as well but so this is a very big topic but we're going to break it down into small pieces and hopefully you can find something that you could use in your classroom. Yeah, so some examples in case, I mean, this might be, I mean, guys gave you some specific things there, but this can be as simple as if you're an elementary school teacher, maybe finding a book uh, that you can read to your students about a crisis that has taken place. I know there's one about the, the earthquake situation that happened in Haiti a few years back. So you can read them this, pose the problem, and then, like I said, sort of focus on that problem-solving aspect aspect in what we here in the United States or whatever country you happen to be in, what you might be able to do uh, to help the people in these other countries around the world. So that's the global part of it. And of course, it's it's very real because these are things that actually uh, have happened and are happening. This can be finding uh, news articles online to look for statistics about different uh, events that are taking place, maybe, maybe like a refugee crisis uh, in, in Europe, let's say, and you want to keep track of or see exactly how how many people are trying to flee their countries and then again come up with solutions and ways to maybe deal with this problem. For me as a science person uh, right now we're dealing with the potential spread of the coronavirus so maybe I have my students do some research on what that is, how it's spread, gather some statistics and maybe create some kind of a visual that they can then uh, then share with people as like an informational you know here's how to stay safe, here's what you need to know and, and put it out there online somewhere. So lots of global connections, lots of real world experiences for your students to really get involved with. And I think there's a ton of pros and cons to this. Obviously for me, uh, student engagement is probably like the biggest one because it's when things seem real to your students, it just has so much more meaning to them because they know that what they're learning about and, and the content they're getting is connected to something that's actually out there. So that's that's kind of my favorite part about the whole thing. Yeah, you made a lot of uh, good points there. It's funny that you made the the uh, reference to the coronavirus because that was what I was going to bring up, but you did it in a totally different way. Oh, cool. So what I would do is bring that up. And there are some students that are legitimately scared out there, um, thinking that this is going to be something that takes over the world. But you can easily have students research and collect data on past you know, health concerns, whether it's the bird flu, whether it's the swine flu, whatever it may be, and then have them kind of do the research and how we took care of the problem, 
how it subsided, how it went away, because that's doing a couple things. It's it's showing through the research, hopefully they figure out how that this problem was taken care of, but then maybe they can make some connections as to maybe what health officials and scientists and things like that can go in and, you know, maybe solve a problem. So they're not actually solving the problem, but they're coming up with some type of hypothesis or a way of tackling this problem to come up with a solution. Yeah, exactly. There's no, I mean, you're not actually going to solve any of these big giant issues in the moment, but the important part is you're getting students to think in that global sense. You're getting them to at least uh, become aware of these things and, and, you know, sort of let them know that they can find solutions. And one day they may be in a position where that is their job and that's their career. It's one of the other uh, pros to this that I wanted to mention is, you know, one of the best ways you can prepare students today for the the world of the future that is changing so fast is to engage them in in this type of activity where, yeah, of course, they're learning content and skills with you as they do this research. But more importantly, they're thinking about that problem solving aspect. thinking about what can I do? What are what are ways that you work through the uh, problem solving process? So just career readiness for a super fast paced changing world. You, you can't beat this type of real world experience. Yeah, I mean, on top of that, you, you nailed most of the main ones where engagement, career readiness, you know, developing these skills, but you have uh, team skills, team collaboration. That's a huge thing. Uh, the biggest thing when I talk to employers nowadays, they want, they don't want the 4.0 student. Uh, they, they don't want the 1.0 student. They want somebody that is, you know, in the middle, well-rounded and has the ability to work with others and think outside of the box. They don't want cookie cutter. They want problem solvers. So we need to be able to give them these types of skills. And with a lot of our schools going one-to-one, this opportunity is right at the tips of our fingers. We have the tool. We just need to put the tool in play. We need to work on our craft a little bit and give our students more of these opportunities. So lots of pros there. Now the cons, there are a couple. First of all, if you're not a one-to-one school and that's a resource problem, that is one way of saying that there's a con, but flip it, most classrooms or most schools have computer labs or the they can access a Chromebook cart or some type of a laptop cart. Put them in small groups, do a station rotation. You do not need technology for every bit and every piece of what's going on in the classroom for a real-world opportunity to be placed in front of your students. Another downside, I don't know if this is really a downside. To me, there's more of a positive spin to it than anything. But if you're going to develop this kind of a project for your class, you really got to put some time. You got to put in some work to sort of coming up with exactly what are all the students going to be doing. Make sure there is a purpose behind it. Make sure that they will be learning something in the process. And make sure that they're going to be assessed uh, fairly, but also you got you have to challenge them, just like with any sort of project-based or problem-based learning experience. It's it's all about that work up front. It's something that we always mention, but you got to really consider what's the, what is that final project going to be. What are the key aspects of it that you that you want to you know really challenge them to develop, and that you want to see uh, come out of this whole thing, so that so that they know from the beginning what they need to sort of build on and grow on, uh, so that that upfront work can be a turnoff, but just like with anything. Else, else put in that time you got a really powerful thing yeah time is a big barrier in education and it just depends on how you look at it i'm going to tell you a story real quick and i just when i think of my earlier education when i was in maybe middle school it might have been i don't know fifth sixth grade i i don't really know when did we start learning or memorizing capitals of europe Uh, or asia pretty pretty right straight away right all right so if you looked at a map tell me how many capitals of 
those places that you can uh, come up with. It's a big zero. Because it's memorization. However, I could tell you a lot of information on a city. Uh, Young Thai City, Young Thai. All right. It's a city that I did a lot of uh, research on and I did a project on and I picked the name just because of how it rolled off the tongue. Young Thai City, Young Thai. All right. So I remember a lot more about that city because I was engaged in that learning process. It was active. Uh, I got to choose something I picked. I wanted to learn more about it. I got to learn about the culture. I got to learn about the types of food there. And the list just goes on and on. But I remember that. I don't remember the, you know, capital of any place in the world, really. I remember I did well on that quiz or the test, but I don't remember anything concrete there. So these opportunities, yeah, it might take a little bit more time, but kids are going to take a lot more away from it than, you know, memorization in these quick uh, grab and go worksheet type, you know, experiences that we provide them. Mine mine was uh, in sixth grade. We had this big project. There was, I don't know if uh, your school did it this way, but in sixth grade, we learned it was like, uh, there's some kind of social studies or maybe a, like a language arts unit on medieval stuff, like castles and kings and knights and whatever else. And it was one of the biggest projects of like, the whole school. So the whole time you're in elementary school, everybody looks forward to this one project where you get to build a castle, a medieval castle of your own choosing. But you know, there's requirements like it has to match in some way an existing medieval castle. And you got to explain the different, you know, time period elements and how it was built and if it's still standing and why it's not still standing. And this is not a super real world experience thing, but I think it kind of speaks to your point that we all know that those things are the things you remember from school. And if you were able to do that type of project tied in with some type of global real world connection, I think it's all that more powerful. So definitely great stuff here. Um, Stick around for our next segment where we'll take a look at some next steps that you can take if you're interested in cultivating this type of project in your classroom. You can follow Got Tech outside the podcast at gottech.com or on Twitter at wegottech. So I don't really know why we called these next steps. It's not like we're going to give you a list of things that you have to do to bring these classes uh, or these types of experiences into your classrooms. Uh, What we're going to do is we're going to kind of go over different variations of ways that you can bring these real world opportunities into your classrooms for your students and just begin the engagement right now. So I'll start with the first one. And this is one of the ones that our district is so fortunate to have. And we have a parent group that actually started uh, curating a list of community experts that would be willing to come into the classroom. So they, they uh, went out to the public, local pharmaceutical companies. They got some scientists, some lab specialists, even some uh, department heads and some of the higher ups within that company. And they got them to basically say, yeah, we'd be willing to come into your school and talk about whatever you want, whatever the teachers need. Uh, We have another person that comes in. He He was a very good track athlete. He comes back every now and again. And I know that he's working towards the next Olympics. Uh, We have doctors that come in. We have businessmen and businesswomen. Uh, We have entrepreneurs. We have all these people that we have at our fingertips in a program that uh, the parents called HelpWell. So we're from HelpWell and they want to help us teachers and us to get students uh, these types of experiences. So they called it HelpWell and it's an amazing program. So basically all that happens is uh, they 
curate this list of community experts and then the teachers look at the list and they kind of say, yeah, I could really use a pharmaceutical lab technician for my biochemistry class or my chemistry class or, or whatever it is. Or maybe it's a, a park ranger for an ecology class. So help well, what they do is they look at your needs and they try to vet their list and see which one would you know be the best fit for you. And then they get you in touch with each other you schedule a time for that person to come in they come in they talk to your class it's pretty awesome yeah it's it's really great i have a couple speakers come into my classrooms from help uh, help well throughout the year and they're just awesome the kids just opens up the kids eyes so much to you know things beyond just that day-to-day content they get to see a real person actually applying that sort of bringing in the uh, money and projects and planning and the fact that just how the real world functions is so cool uh, if you don't have a community organization like this um, and you feel like it's something you want to start, all it takes is an email. A lot of big companies, they have already set up outreach programs where they've sort of identified certain employees of their own that are good at doing this, that, that agree to go speak in schools. So a lot of the structure there is already set up. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, somebody from a school building reaching out and opening that line of communication. So like I said, if you're interested in this, just try and identify some of the biggest companies in your area as a starting point, reach out to them, phone call, email, they'll connect you with whoever they need to in terms of who they have identified already that can do this. And if they don't have it, you never know, maybe this is the catalyst that will help to start that up. So the community list of experts is a really cool way to uh, kick things off and get some connections going that your students can uh, can use. So I guess the next one that I want to bring in is something that I'm very passionate about. And I'm very excited that we're going to have the opportunity to do this with one of the new rooms in our school due to the new renovation. And that's more of a conference call setting. Now, there are tons of ways that you could use a conference room. And first of all, let me say, you don't need a conference room to do this. You could just do this on any type of laptop that has a webcam and some type of uh, microphone, whether it's the built-in one or a different one. Uh, you could use it there as well. There are several different examples of this, such as Skype a scientist. Uh, I've heard a lot of great things about that. I know that there's a graduate student in Antarctica that that will uh, Skype a scientist. I've heard some people uh, say that they had that privilege to talk with the uh, the student in Antarctica. Um, you could Zoom a friend, and we've done this in the past at our school. Uh, we have a teacher that knows an author in New York and another author in California. And what we did is we had that English class come in and sit down and ask questions to both of these authors. And it was really fantastic. I think it makes the book come alive that the author has written, and that really helps on student buy-in. But the messages behind the books and the questions that they asked, I think that's what they're really going to take away are the answers to those questions. Another one that's uh, popular, and this is a lot more for the younger grades and in middle school, but I could really see this working for any age level, is Mystery Skype. And the idea behind Mystery Skype is uh, two teachers connect over Skype, and the classes take turns asking each other questions, and based on those answers, what they're trying to do is to guess where that other classroom is from, state, location, those types of things. So that's another cool one. Uh, another one that they started doing with my son's preschool 
is uh, parent readers and work experiences. What I mean by that is uh, on a parent's lunch break, what they'll do is they'll they'll call into the, the preschool or whenever they can. It doesn't need to be at lunch. They'll set up a time. They'll call into the preschool and they'll read a book and they'll do it straight from their computer and they'll read a book and the kids are super into it. The other thing is, is uh, bring your mom or dad to work day, to, to school day to talk about work. That's another one. They can just uh, uh, conference call in and sometimes that's better for the parent. Sometimes it's new and exciting for the student. I would definitely, if it was me, I'd choose to go see the kids in the preschool, but this is a different way to kind of switch it up. And then the last one is the foreign language, uh, foreign experience opportunities. At our school, our foreign language department does a nice job running trips that rotate every couple of years. So They'll do a two-week exchange with a school from France or a school from Germany or a school from Spain. And then uh, they'll go over to Spain for two weeks. The students from Spain will come over to our school for two weeks. What would be cool about this is you would be able to get to know them a little bit earlier before you just go over there. You'd be able to see them face-to-face, maybe talk with them. You could have some smaller breakout Skypes or or Zoom conferences so they can start meeting people before they go over there. Or then keep those relationships going after the trip is over with, right? And you can sort of stay in contact and, and maybe even somehow tie that into your curriculum. I was going to say as kind of a good segue, as powerful as that, you know, that trip abroad can be, there's a lot of times and a lot of places where you can't do that, right? And you, it'd be great if you could take your, I don't know, take your students somewhere, I don't know, maybe some kind of a, a temple in Indonesia, but obviously you can't do that much money-wise and time-wise, and there's already so many of these trips, you know, that kids are doing, and you can't always just be another one added to the pile. So there's lots of ways you can do virtual field trips. One that we've talked about before um, is Google Arts and Culture. It's tough to define Google Arts and Culture other than just that, a virtual field trip. It lets you view historical places. It lets you view uh, artwork from museums across the globe. I'm on the main page right now, just a couple of the things they have trending are discovering the Pramanan Temple in Indonesia. Uh, you can actually click on it and then it gives you like sort of that uh, that street view almost that you use on Google Maps, but you can sort of move around inside this temple and, and at least get some sense of what it's like there. Obviously, this is no replacement for actually visiting, but in the absence of being able to do that, this is pretty powerful. Uh, the other one is exploring Van Gogh's bedroom, so clicking on the painting and really getting up close, probably even closer than you could get if you were actually looking at the this painting in real life. Again, not a replacement, but if it's your only choice, a virtual field trip like this could be pretty powerful as a way to connect to maybe some other part of a project that students are doing in your class. So I like Google Arts and Culture a lot. Yeah. I was actually walking down towards our band room and this was during passing time and I saw a student sitting down on her Chromebook and she was, it looked like a stage and she was sitting there and toggling the the picture back and forth it was like a 360 picture and really she was on a famous stage and she was listening to various uh, composers that basically played on that stage and i thought that was amazing that was also part of google arts and culture so let's uh talk about one that is really near and dear to my heart and that's really taking the students away from the school going outside and getting those real world experiences uh my first two years my first three years um i did something called Earthwatch, and this is a nonprofit, I believe. 
I believe it's a nonprofit, but what they do is they get teachers and people from all around the world. It could be other professions too, but a lot of them are teachers and they put them in these little projects where you might do some type of uh, research study or collect data or help build something in a different country or protect the turtles, things like that. And uh, my first Earth Watch was uh, on Isle Royale in Lake Superior, in the middle of Lake Superior. So if you look at the little island in the little uh, in the middle of Lake Superior, it's right on the K uh, on most maps called Isle Royale, and it hosts the largest predator prey study um, in the world, longest running predator prey study. And it and the the predator there is the wolf, and the prey there is the, the moose. It was a fantastic experience for me. Uh, one thing. As a teacher, I didn't want to be the teacher that taught from the book. I wanted to teach through real life experience, so I needed to have these experiences. And uh, so I went there uh, the first time and I met four random people that were in my group and our group leader and we went out and we looked for moose bones. And then once we found moose bones, we studied how it died. If it had um, encasings like maggot encasings and stuff like that, I know it's gross, but we'll get over it. Then we knew that it probably starved because when the, the moose population got too high, there wouldn't be enough food on the island. However, if you saw bones that were chipped away, gnarred away, anything like that, um, you knew that it was probably preyed on by a uh, predator, which is the wolf. Also looking at the bones, you could see whether it had some type of disease or if it was a healthy uh, moose, that's harder for the, the wolves to bring down. Usually they go for the ones that are, you know, a little bit of health uh, issues going on, osteoporosis, things like that. But anyway, fantastic experience. And I taught a lot of my lessons through this experience. I brought in things on photosynthesis. I brought in things on predator prey. I bought, brought in things on communal relationships, things like that. Two years later, I was like, I really like that. And I want my students to experience that. So I took uh, four students with me. And to this day, all four students, every time I see them, they go, it's still the best experience uh, of my education career ever. So this is a way to get them involved in this outside experience and actually taken there. I had to share it because this impact impacted my life and my education career so much as a teacher and as those students keep coming back to me and every time we see each other we tell a new story that we you know we have this new story but really it's a flash from the past that we talk about and you know it was such a valuable thing to do with students so I would challenge you to do those not all of them are as uh, hands-on as that one there are other ways to get out there so if hiking through the backwoods of an island is not your forte you could pick something else there are a couple other groups out there uh, global volunteers um, is another one a lot of the same with earth watch and global volunteers uh, just a slightly different focus on more of a humanitarian piece rather than the ecology and uh, predator prey relationship piece yeah and that's like you said, those things sound awesome to me. Amazing to get outside and be part of this in the field kind of global research, but that's not everybody's thing. And if it's not, there's lots of ways that you can be part of research without actually going anywhere. One of my favorite ones that I've been aware of for a while, and sometimes these are called global knowledge networks, but all that really means is ways for you and your students to be part of the actual gathering of data, uh, basically through a, a website where you sign up and be essentially become a researcher yourself. So, um, 
one of the most popular ones is called uh, Globe, G-L-O-B-E, or the Globe program. Globe is a, it's a sponsored thing where you, you can sign up and you get to actually enter a lot of it's like weather data, uh, things you're seeing in your area like precipitation and cloud cover. And they, they use people from all over the globe who's, who are doing this. A lot of it's, you know, students that are doing this part of their class. But again, you're actually becoming part of the research. You're not only entering the data yourself, but then you get access to that data so you can learn about climate change and different trends and patterns. And it's sort of all wrapped up in this nice shell. So there's other ways to be part of research like that. Some other programs similar to Globe, if you want to check uh, some different options out, are SEED, S-E-E-D, uh, ePALS, lowercase e, capital P-A-L-S, or iEARN. I'm not going to go through each one of those things. I'll just kind of throw it out there and let uh, you guys check them out if you want. But these uh, these are really great ways to be part of that in the field research also. And um, I think what probably we'll wrap it up uh, with is mentioning here one of our favorite things, of course, playing games, gamification, game-based learning. There's lots of ways you can tie that in with this real-world experience, this global learning as well. A lot of the game educational games are built off this idea of sort of this global experience. And I, I found one website which sort of houses most of these. So I figured I'd throw that out there to everybody. It's called... Called, uh, games for Change. You can find it at gamesforchange.org. This was started in 2004, and it's really just there to facilitate the creation and the sharing of these games that are sort of all focused on social impact around the world. So humanitarian efforts, always educational. Just some of the games that they have there. Uh, there's one called Tree that talks about the development and growth of trees. Third World Farmer, Closed World, 80 Days, Mayo Beats are just some of the names to give you a sense of what they have. Really, really cool that there exists this bank, this resource of games that are specifically tied to global learning. Uh, so not only are your students getting the, the effect of learning about the world and this this real life experience, but they're also getting to play a game in the meantime. So that's a really, really uh, cool opportunity. Last and not least, we did talk a lot about uh, Twitter and PLN at the top of the episode. So just to continue that trend a little bit, you can follow uh, these popular Twitter chats. These are the hashtags to these Twitter chats. Uh, global Ed, hashtag Global Learning, and hashtag Global Ed Chat. These are three that we have uh, visited. We liked what we saw, so we thought we'd bring those out. You can go take a look for those on Twitter. Grow your PLN that way. All right, so there you go, guys. Some good next steps on how to bring uh, global education, global learning, and real life experiences into your classroom. Hopefully you found something that can work for you to get the process started. Hey everybody, just wanted to quickly uh, announce who our next Edu Mentor is going to be, and this will be uh, uh, episode 54, and that's going to be Bruce Riker. Bruce is a fantastic guy that we have met through the Twitterverse and also through some conferences here in New Jersey. He's going to come on and talk to us about digital creation tools and multimedia use in the classroom. So we're super excited for Bruce Riker to come in for this episode. He is also going to host the Twitter chat that follows that episode, so we're pumped about that, and we can't wait to learn and expand this PLN on Twitter. You can reach us there for that tw uh, Twitter chat at hashtag edumentor. Uh, you can reach Nick at NickGotTech, me at GuysGotTech, or the podcast at 
we got teched. Uh, please uh, reach out to us on Twitter if you have any interest in becoming an edu mentor. Uh, you could just direct message one of us and we will get back to you. Uh, all that we would need from you is what you feel would be a good topic for an edu mentor segment or an edu mentor chat. So we're looking forward to growing our PLN, uh, learning from each and every one of you, and pushing our PLN to the best place that we possibly can and helping each other change practices for our students tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Got Tech, the podcast. Remember to subscribe to our show and follow us at We Got Tech on Twitter so you can stay up to date with the latest episode releases, blog posts, product reviews, and PD announcements. You can also follow Geist and I individually at Geist Got Tech and at Nick Got Tech on Twitter or on Instagram at Nick Got Tech. Finally, remember to check out our website, gottech.com, where we post all our episodes, articles, and resources available to you for free. Until next time.